we're still working with employers and their employees to just get in and get regular screenings. As much as all of these other bells and whistles can be helpful, at the end of the day, we still definitely need the majority of populations to go in and have their preventive care, get their annual exams, make sure they're having age-appropriate screenings, and really ultimately have that relationship with a doctor. And we're still seeing plenty of pockets of populations where that's not happening yet. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for joining Jeremy and I for another episode of Navigate's People First Podcast. We are excited for you to, to be here and uh, also want to say thank you to all the wonderful support uh, you guys have given us and ideas for our podcast. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It's wonderful to hear from you all, and it really helps us grow our podcast. So thank you so much, and let's dive into another episode. Jay, we just got back from the 2023 Health Conference for a week in Las Vegas. We spent a lot of time visiting with people. Talk to me about your experience. Uh, we had our separate ways. We joined meetings, we did all the different things, but like, tell me about your experience. what do you think of health? All the things that were there. Health is a great place to get your pulse on what's going on in healthcare. It is a sort of an entrepreneurial focused conference. There's a lot of very, very big names, big jobs, that are talking about their strategies and their vision and what they see going on. I think it's exciting. There's a lot of buzz. It's a well put on conference. From a personal standpoint, my wife was giving me a hard time about being in bed at 8.30 every night uh, because it's on West Coast time. So that was fun. But no, it was, it was exciting. It was good to hear what everybody's cooking. Everybody was talking about AI. That was the big trend I noticed. Data analytics, making sure that data is talking and working with each other, with other organizations, interoperability. That was, there was a lot of topics there. And I saw a lot of stuff that was sort of smaller scale, sort of closer to home. A lot of people talking about women's health, a lot of people talking about food as medicine, a lot of people talking about solutions. But all in all, it was a great time. It's amazing how it's grown because we've been going yeah. since it first started. But I love the theme this year around inspire humanity, improve humanity, elevate humanity. You know, there's a wonderful opportunity there to accelerate business ideas and tons of startups, staying ahead of emerging trends. We connected with a ton of our industry colleagues that were out there too, but really it's kind of neat because they really curate a tailored experience for you when you're at health. And, and I just think that it was just so great to see some of the emerging trends, which we're gonna get to today. It was inspiring. There were some wonderful announcements that were made between organizations working together to further health inequities health systems working together to use food as medicine. And when I sit there and think about this podcast and how we think about, we align one of our family values to our theme, I had a hard time thinking about, is it inspire and innovate? Is it embrace change? Is it growth is great? Is it we are family? And I'm like, we got to bring like all of it together for this one, because we spend a lot of time trying to learn what the industry is doing with TrendWise. We listen to our consultants. And we have one of our favorite consultants with us today joining us to really kind of focus on an encouraging trend that we saw at health, which was women's health and also emotional health and physical health. And so this month, we're really thrilled to welcome our friend and part of our Navigate family, but we call our friends at Gallagher family. 
someone who is doing good things throughout the country for a lot of people, Emily Brainerd. Emily is the national practice leader for physical and emotional well-being at Gallagher, exceptional leader, leads a wonderful team there at Gallagher, and really focuses on her efforts developing solutions and improving the overall well-being of employee populations by creating happy, healthy workplaces. Emily, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm so excited to be here, Troy. <laughs> I've never done a podcast before. It's awesome. Hi, first well, time. Hey. Love it. This is great. <laughs> Well, this is only like our seventh and it seems to be going good. Continue to subscribe, like, thank you. I love it. Emily, tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and why do you do what you do? Good questions. So as you introduced me, I lead a team currently at Gallagher of about 27 unbelievable professionals and experts in their field, all with this passion that you're talking about around helping companies be better for their people. I've been in the field now about 12 years working for Gallagher. It's been an honor to watch the impact that we really can have helping companies achieve their goals, support their people, and have their people feel appreciated and supported within their organization. And it is motivating every day to keep doing it. And every company can continue to get better. I don't think we're ever at the end of the journey. And so that's kind of the fun part about our job is going out there and figuring out what a company can do next to keep on that journey, always continuing to be better for their people. Talk to us about how you got to Gallagher specifically. I was actually working for a smaller little brokerage firm in Minnesota where I live. We merged with Gallagher and became a part of the organization. When I was at this first little company, I was the only person doing well-being. And then I joined Gallagher and all of a sudden the world kind of opened and there were other people doing what I do, talking to companies about wellness and well-being. So I started consulting in the Minnesota market and then worked my way up through Gallagher to now lead the national team, which is, again, a huge honor to work with the people underneath me that are so much smarter than me, they should be the ones on this podcast. When I think about our relationship and where we've evolved with Gallagher as Navigate, I go back to 2020, when we're in Des Moines, Dean Clune, myself, you were having these meetings and it was, we themed this best year ever. We were looking at this is going to be the best year ever for us moving forward in our relationship. And then things kind of took a pause there during the pandemic. And we were all like scrambling and trying to figure things out. But one of the reasons why I was thinking about Embrace Change and We Are Family is like we worked together significantly during that COVID time to really provide resources and really get the right resource at the right time to people during that time. Fast forward out of there. Now we're looking at women's health and we're really giving the attention to women's health that we really should be. And as we think about women's health and how, you know, myself as a CEO and a business owner, how I define women's health how we listen to our women's health committee at Navigate, which is four years old, listening to them and hearing what they define women's health as. Help me understand how you define women's health and maybe how that's evolved in the benefit space, in the consulting space that you're in every single day. I do think it's evolving. I think like with anything, we continue to learn every day and the country and our culture and the world continues to evolve. So this is just one kind of example in the well-being space that is really growing significantly. And it is a wonderful change to where we maybe once were. Employers definitely saw during the pandemic 
that women were impacted potentially a little differently. Women tend to be the caregiver at home. We did see that those caregivers were leaving the workplace to go and take care of their kids that were no longer going to school every single day and needed to be home or taking care of other family members that needed that extra care during the pandemic. And there was a little bit of an exodus of women in the workplace. And while that certainly wasn't necessarily the outcome of the pandemic we were looking for, I think the silver lining of that is that employers took notice and they didn't necessarily want that to happen. They didn't sit back and say, oh, no big deal. (laughs) Let's just let all the women go, (laughs) which is, I think, a good sign, right? So we are definitely seeing employers trying to attract people back to the workplace and retain women in the workplace. And what does that mean then? That means we need to care for them a little bit differently. We need to make sure that their physical and emotional health is taken care of and supported with the right resources to make it easy and viable to stay at the workplace. And that comes in a variety of different forms, everything from mental health care to care for when you're pregnant or pre-pregnant, trying to start a family. It comes in the form of as you're getting older and you're going into menopause, how are you supported physically and emotionally then? It covers the gamut, right? I think historically, we always talked about breast cancer awareness month, and that was women's health. I think we're absolutely still focused on cancer screenings and preventive care in that capacity. But women's health is just so much more than that. And we're finally starting to take note of it and see employers take note of it. So let's dig in there a little bit. And Jay, that's the data that we're seeing as well, right? When we're doing our surveys, we see that women's health is no longer just that I'm pregnant or that I have breast cancer. That was pretty darn limiting, obviously. But yet we're starting to see where those were only topics people were willing to maybe talk about in women's health. Now, not so much. And it is a full gamut. It is from fertility to menopause and everywhere in between is the best way I could maybe describe it. From the data, what we're seeing internally, obviously tried and true things like physical activity and nutrition are always the top of the radar, right? That's the foundation for what most of our well-being programs and any any sort of healthcare programs can be founded on. But a good holistic program needs to encompass much more than that. And what we're seeing, and particularly among women in our population, and when we break it down into our eight pillars, we look at the mindfulness and balance categories, specifically when we're looking at social emotional issues. And in women, those have a higher trend rate than in men. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. But for me, it opens up a lot of questions. Should we be providing specific programming resources in our well-being programs, in our healthcare, in our benefits to women? Should we be thinking about it differently? And I think the answer that we're starting to see is a resounding yes. This is one of my favorite conversations and quotes. Christy Smith, our vice president of growth, we had this conversation and said, Troy, we need to understand that we need to have resources available to women in the workplace from every phase of their life. And we need to be able to have these resources available to them 24-7. How are we going about doing that? And so as we just went through benefit enrollment, bringing some more things into Navigate, but even listening more, I think is probably one of the best opportunities that we've seen is saying, Let's sit down and listen more about what the women in the workplace want. Emily, when you think about that and you lead a team that is dominated by the female population, you're working in HR, which is predominantly women. When you think about 
addressing issues specifically toward women's health, as well as the entire population, where are you seeing potential focus 2023, 2024 moving forward within women's health? Again, we're making great strides and new things are coming up all the time. Everything from definitely the continually growing fertility, family forming space. It's a hot trend. There's a lot of employers that are thinking about it, talking about it, considering putting resources in place, which is not only tremendous for women, it's also a wonderful resource for men, as well as our LGBTQ plus communities. So it really speaks to employers going after diversity and inclusion. And so that's a really wonderful growing space that so many people need and can take advantage of. And then you go all the way to the other end and this trend of really starting to finally talk about menopause and menopause isn't a a secret that we don't talk about is a huge new trend. We're still seeing more and more resources and programs and initiatives come out in that space. And I think we'll only continue to see a lot more. One other place, the musculoskeletal space certainly has always been about my back pain or, you know, I used to listen to providers in that space and they would always talk about, well, you know, when all the guys have a bad shoulder from football, that's what this resource is for. And now you start talking to those same providers and they're saying, well, one of our hottest growing resources is actually pelvic health for women after they give birth, before they give birth, and while into menopause as they age. You just start to hear all of these resources that are kind of have always been around, but they're evolving to include more conversation around women's health, which is pretty awesome. You talked earlier about the on the prevention side, but having discussions around ovarian cancer prevention, obviously breast cancer prevention as we celebrate and honor Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Where do you see genetic testing going in the benefit space in the future? Any thoughts on that? We saw a lot of genetic testing inside the health conference and some trends toward genetic testing around cancer, women's health, et cetera. Where do you see that in playing? I think it's going to continue to be a conversation and it definitely starts to prompt a conversation of whether or not you believe in it or not, whether you think it's a good idea or not. And I think there's a lot of people on each side of the fence with genetic testing right now. I don't know that the field has caught up fast enough to know exactly where and how that plays a role and when does that cross a line or when does that get into privacy issues and things like that. But it definitely is a growing conversation. Some employers are definitely hot to talk about it. And other employers we're seeing don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole yet because it's just still a little bit what they might consider radical. So I think we've got some time here to see where does that really come to play. I would say we're still working with employers and their employees to just get in and get regular screenings. Yeah, As much as all of these other bells and whistles can be helpful. At the end of the day, we still definitely need the majority of populations to go in and have their preventive care, get their annual exams, make sure they're having age-appropriate screenings, and really ultimately have that relationship with a doctor. And we're still seeing plenty of pockets of populations where that's not happening yet. 
That's wonderful because it's personalized. It's getting more and more personalization and that personalization is going to potentially evolve to genetics. I think it's going to evolve, but that personalization, that hyper-personalization and Jay, we talk about this every single day. It's like, what data can we dig into to provide insights to help us make decisions moving forward when it comes to personalization? And when we think about preventive care, we think about our total health, it's driving those resources at the right time for the people that we work with. Yeah. We talk about personalization. The first step of that is smoothing over speed bumps, right? Anything that's going to get in your way, the roadblock to access. So a lot of that is just making sure that there's one place for all of your benefits to be found, right? It's little things that can start a conversation about personalization, making sure that all of that stuff is in one place and easy for someone to find. And then you can take it to the next level with someone like us that we've smoothed out the road for you. And now we're taking in that next step of smoothing out the road, which is not knowing what's appropriate for me. So I know where everything's at. And we're telling you, this is exactly the kind of thing that based on what we know about you, that would be right up your alley. We're going to essentially drop you off at the front door of those resources and then run with it. It's that frictional digital experience, right? Yeah, we want to as frictionless as possible. Because I know Emily loves all the point solutions that are out there <laughs> that are in the marketplace. There's six more that just came out right now. Yeah. Correct. So Emily, when you think about there are some wonderful high value solutions that are out there and getting that support to the individual member. When you think about how you guys are maybe doing resource audits, how you're utilizing even Navigate for the front door, how do you see that easing that frictionless digital experience that, I, that we kind of talk about? The digital experience isn't going away. We know that, right? Every employer and every person in life, we're on digital tools no matter what. So they have their place, they can be wonderful tools. I think the biggest challenge is that communication and that user friendliness for the end user. And we find that employers sometimes kind of skip that part. <laughs> they, they can put in all of these amazing resources. And like you mentioned, we'll come in and have an inventory of 15, 16, 25 different tremendous resources that are underutilized. Honestly, because people can't find them, the end user doesn't know which mental health provider to go to or, you know, do I click on this button or that website or this app? I'm not sure. So we definitely love working with Navigate and making a central hub for all of those resources to be in place where the end user just has to be told to go one location, one website, one app, one location and have the information at their fingertips when they need it. The other nice thing, and a lot of employers might use like an intranet type site, but unfortunately that's only sometimes available when you're at work and only available to the worker. And what about all the family members that also need to access some of those tools? And so having it on an app, on a website that I can access at home at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night when I really need it, and or I'm, I have time to think about it, that's the type of connection we need to continue to make sure we make so that those resources go used and not underutilized. One of my favorite examples, and I know I use it probably too much, but I would say Prisma Health in South Carolina, which is a mutual client between Navigate and Gallagher, you know, two hospital systems, two wonderful hospital systems in South Carolina coming together, utilizing Gallagher marketing resources to create their new brand. Then they 
came in with us to create their well-being program and we've helped them evolve that. But it's creating that we looked at that resource audit of 60 different potential resources that people have. And the great thing about that is we saw where there was crossover. So we're able to steward some budgets the right way and evaluate that. But we were also able to look at and say, how can we drive utilization of the resources that you have to one, let the people know we care about you because we want to keep you at the health system because we understand nurses and we understand where they're at. We want to retain all of our best and our brightest nurses and keep them there at Prisma Health and all the docs as well and everyone there at Prisma. But how do we make sure that we let them know that we care about them? And Jay, I know you've got awesome data when it comes to Prisma Health and what we've been doing on navigating them to the right resources and advocating for that care. So where's your head go on that? Because I know you're chopping at the bit when Emily was talking about that one resource. I'm so excited, especially for our friends over at Prisma. They haven't heard this yet, but preliminary data is showing that our total health program, which part of it is geared toward driving people to those resources. We called out specific resources that were the most important or that fit the personalization aspects of the platform really well, the average activation we're seeing is 61%. So if someone was given a resource recommendation, there's a 61% chance that they got to the front door of that resource. Now, we can knock on the door for Diabetes them. Diabetes prevention, EAP. Nutritional services. services coaching, nutrition services. Yeah. The whole nine. And so- At the end of the year, once we wrap up this program, we're going to work with our friends at Prisma, go to each one of those vendors, see what the increased rate is. Anecdotally, we're hearing that there was quite a bit of buzz from their vendors going, what's going on? This is uh, surprising for us. That's that ecosystem that we're trying to create. And that's where the collective work and that frictionless user experience that Emily was just talking about. It's like, how do we continue to push people to those high value solutions? Emily, I want to go back to this real quick because... You mentioned preventive care. One of the things that you guys do wonderfully about is you're driving people to localized resources. You're driving them to local resources and leveraging the community resources. How are you guys doing that? How are you seeing and how are you working with groups like your health systems, your school systems, your public and labor groups, manufacturing, and like leveraging those community resources locally that, that are available to them? Especially within the healthcare systems. They have so many tremendous resources themselves that they offer. Prisma is a wonderful example of that. Their in-house services that they're giving to their patients. Well, why wouldn't we promote those with their own employees? These are tremendous resources that can be utilized and should be utilized. I would say the same thing about a lot of school districts or public entities in general. They have resources in their communities that we're trying to connect people to. We don't need to totally recreate the wheel. And that's part of the uncovering of who are these organizations? How are they connected to their communities? A lot of organizations have partnerships with not-for-profit organizations within their communities that from a corporate perspective, they're trying to keep those connections. And why don't we leverage them more often as an employer trying to help our employees. So it really is about just getting in and uncovering all of those things and then building that ecosystem, like you're saying, making sure that we're covering a wide variety of resources for a wide variety of people and a wide variety of diversity, all age groups, all professional levels, all life stages. And we're considering each person within the organization and what they might need. And a lot of those are sitting right next door. 
we don't need to actually spend a lot of money to make that connection. And it ends up being a corporate social responsibility win-win for the organization. It all ties together, right? It all ties together. You know, one of the things that I think ties together to the work that you guys do at Gallagher, and I want to give you guys special props for all the work that you guys do at Special Olympics. I think it's one of the most wonderful things you guys do there. But one of the things you guys do is each year you guys go through at Gallagher a rigorous process to become certified as one of the most ethical companies in the world. How does that tie to the work that you're doing in the women's leadership programming and webinars you guys do? to your guys' culture, to the physical and mental health team that you lead? How does that all tie together in just doing good for the people that you work with every single day in your team? It is pretty awesome. The World's Most Ethical Companies Award, we've actually earned that 13 times in a row, which is pretty awesome. It really speaks to the culture of Gallagher, our approach to how we support our own employees, and then how we support our clients. We truly believe in it. It isn't just a label that they slap on us. We work really hard to earn that award every single year and a few others. You know, we're one of the best places to work for LGBTQ equality. This year, we're honored to have earned the Bell Seal Platinum Certification from Mental Health America. So All of that really speaks to the dedication Gallagher puts and the effort Gallagher puts into making sure that our own employees are really supported, which in turn makes us better for our clients. We believe in these things wholeheartedly ourselves, and therefore we're dedicated to helping and supporting our clients find the same path and establish similar type cultures it's an honor to be able to work for an organization that prioritizes those types of things. It sets my team up beautifully to come in and shine with our clients, really helping them think about how do you really care for and establish that culture of health and well-being and support, just like we have here at Gallagher. Emily, while I've got you, I'd love for some advice on how I can be a better leader And maybe you can give me some examples of the things you're doing with your team, things you're proud about. By no means, I'm a perfect leader by any means, but I do feel like we've got a pretty strong, solid team. And it is a team mostly of women. Again, I'm honored to be able to lead them and mentor them and help them and watch them grow every single day. One of the things that I think we're working on as we talk about women in the workplace and their physical health, their mental health, their career well-being. One of the things we're really working on is how to stand up and promote yourself as a woman. It's easy to, we kind of maybe have a tendency as females to sit back and let other people take the credit. In the well-being industry in general, we also tend to do that. We're continually being that caregiver out instead of necessarily rising ourselves up. Over the last year or so, we really have started focusing on how do you stand up and talk about yourself confidently in a way that comes across where you're the expert and you gain that respect from the people you're working with, while at the same time not coming across like you've got some giant ego. And it's a careful balance for women in general. At one of our surveys that we did out to the HR professionals, about a thousand or so HR professionals, 
we did ask them, do you feel confident in your own voice? Unfortunately, 42% of them said, no, not yet. And I think that's a space where it's not the same as talking about breast cancer, but it's also talking about women in the workplace and how we can be successful and how we can be supported. And I think as leaders, we need to recognize that women might just need a little bit more help standing up for themselves and feeling confident in promoting themselves. So we're really working on that as a team. I think it's going to help all of them continue to progress in their own careers, paths, wherever that leads. Emily, when I think about growing as a leader and also making sure that the women population that we work with, that they know they can be confident and we want them to be confident. What are some ideas, thoughts, consulting for us as the two males sitting in this conversation, coach us a little bit around things that potentially that might be effective as managers or leaders for us to think about? I think the first thing is, and I think you do this really well already, but is to listen, ask some questions, find out what is going on in their lives and what resources might really be helpful to them. I know my team talks to employers every day and the employers are just making blanket decisions. And we always step back and say, well, let's talk to the people that actually are going to use the resource and find out what are they thinking? What are they saying? And so let's talk to the women in the workplace. Let's create a communication channel for them to share their opinions, share their struggles, share their needs, their interests, and then take that into consideration and figure out what's going to be best for your culture. I think that's a really important place to start. And having that diverse perspective, again, of different ages, different life stages, different professional career stages, and helping them each identify a need and or a resource that would be most beneficial to them. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. We always end our podcasts with the Vest Day Ever segment. Emily, we've known each other for a long time. You know, I wear a vest quite a bit. This segment is really just a good thing. We want to end the episode on a high note. And this has been a wonderful episode. I would just love to, Jay, get the ball rolling. Give us a good. Sure. For me, two weeks ago, we had a quarterly meeting with our leadership team, our executive team. And it was a bunch of people got into a room together to talk about things that we're doing well and challenges that we're facing and just head on into the business and what do we need to do to keep moving forward. I was incredibly grateful for the candid conversations and the vulnerability that people showed and just the opportunity to connect with all the people that we work with. I'm grateful for that. It was awesome to see everybody. It really was. We spent a lot of time listening. That's to me, those are the good juice meetings. I always leave just like amped up and ready to go. Thanks for sharing that, buddy. I appreciate it. Those are our quarterly meetings and it's awesome. Emily, give us a good. We're talking about women's health on this call today. So I am actually going to become a mother. I mean, talk about like perfect timing to have this podcast, right? In December, I am currently pregnant. I am due in December. So I am just really looking forward to the honor of bringing a little creature into the world, right? <laughs> and kind of going back to your opening, Troy, that growth is great. Embrace family, inspire humanity. I feel like that's the opportunity that I'm being given. I get to raise a little human and help them see the world in that way. And that's pretty darn exciting. <laughs> I get to do two goods of best day ever just because. So my first one is it was 
everyone knows I love the state of Iowa. And on Sunday, this past Sunday, history was made at the University of Iowa and in Iowa City, Iowa. This was one of my favorite moments. My wife and my daughter and some friends of ours, we went all up where the University of Iowa played a women's basketball game in Kinnick Stadium. And we have, for a long time, the state of Iowa, rather it be Iowa State or Iowa, have supported women's athletics. Iowa has long been in the top five of attendance, Iowa, Iowa State, both in women's in women's basketball. So we've been supporting women's basketball for a long time. But this is just another growth. It was just another evolution of how we support women's athletics. And the University of Iowa women's team played DePaul in an exhibition game and set the attendance world record for watching a women's basketball game at 55,000 people in Kinnick Stadium watching these young ladies play basketball. It was a little chilly. It was a little windy. But our West Des Moines hometown kid, Caitlin Clark, who was awarded the Collegiate Woman Athlete of the Year before the game and the Naismith Award a couple of weeks ago. You know, Iowa does some pretty darn things for women's athletics and supporting our women. And it's just awesome to see the nation see that. I love seeing little girls running around with Caitlin Clark jerseys on. I even love little boys running around with Caitlin Clark jerseys on. You know, I just want to continue to do good things. And that's one of those things where I want Iowa to continue to do that and do as much good as we can for as many as we can. And that was just a wonderful experience that my family and 55,000 other people and other folks got to see us supporting women's athletics the way that we did. So that was awesome. So that was one. Two is that Emily is having a little one. And at Navigate, we do a special kind of thing where we make sure that little Air Jordan's coming your way. And um, they've got a little bit of Halloween tint because I know that you love Halloween. We so appreciate all that you do. And we appreciate our relationship with Gallagher and this little box of Air Jordans will be on its way to Minnesota shortly. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Really, the partnership is wonderful. You guys are wonderful. And the good things you do every day make us want to be better. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of Jeremy, Emily, and I, thank you all for joining us. It's been a wonderful podcast. Continue to subscribe. Give us some feedback. We really appreciate it. Continue to do good things for one another, and we'll see you. Bye-bye.